Welcome to the Sparkcom podcast, where we talk about innovation trends and what's coming next. My name is Manny Turan. And I'm Adam Hartung. Uh, learn more about us at sparkpartners.com. And uh, on today's uh, podcast, we want to uh, have a small business segment where we will bring on a small business owner who actually was in the throes of the pandemic and has had uh, some really interesting things he's done in order to remain relevant and in the end, grow his business. So let me bring him on board here and we'll uh, continue the conversation. Hey there, Ben, how are you? Uh, fantastic, and you? Doing excellent. So I want to introduce to everybody, uh, Ben Vernon, the, uh, one of the owners of Crooked Tooth Brewery here in Tucson, Arizona. Uh, you want to give a little bit of background about yourself, Ben, and then I've got a couple questions to ask. All right, cool. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm a native Tucsonan. My wife and I uh, are the owners of Crooked Tooth. Um, we're both natives. We actually, you know, cheesy high school sweethearts that, that made it all the way to this point in our life. So that's pretty, uh, that right there is accomplishment number one. Um, and then, uh, yeah, we just uh, decided one is actually all her idea. She decided to open up a brewery because I was out of town working for like eight months out of the year. So she's like, this, this isn't compatible with the family and it's just not sustainable. Let's do something that keeps us here. Little did she know that becoming a business owner means you're going to be working 150 hours a week. But but now we're at least we're in the same city. So uh, so, yeah, so she started off. At home. She bought me a home brew set about, uh, I guess, about 20 years ago now. Um, I got obsessive. It went from like one refrigerator to five refrigerators to eight beers on tap to like brewing every weekend to next step owning a brewery. So um, that's kind of how it all came into fruition. Um, we opened our doors about four years ago um, in a building that actually had been sitting vacant the whole time we were in high school back in the 90s um, all the way to, uh, to, to when we went in really. So it was kind of neat to see that building as always being part of our like it was just down the street. So it was always kind of part of where we passed and uh, to be able to bring life back into it was something that was really kind of special to us. So, yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. And so what was the, uh, I mean, it's clear that you were being kind of uh, initially pushed and then you took the, the bull by the horn, so to speak, and you went all for it. What was the moment that you had, the conversation you had that uh, led to actually opening the brewery and you know changing careers from uh, either nine to five or even a gig worker to owning a business is a pretty significant move. And so that's not, uh, that's not for the faint of heart for sure. Yeah, no, it was uh, definitely terrifying. Um, we went from something that was stable to something that's unstable. And, and then, you know, you really, it's how much work you're going to put into how much you get out. So uh, I have a tendency to just dive full heartedly into something and it kind of dominates everything I do. And that's, that's what the brewery did. Um, we worked for about a year trying to get it open. It took about four months to get all the plans and permits and all that crap figured out. And then about uh, six to eight months to get it open and, and where we wanted it. We totally gutted that building, renovated it. Um, we really did all of the work, all to the electrical, which was beyond my pay grade. And, uh, and so, yeah, that kind of idea. Are we, and we have children, so it's not like it's just my wife and I that were at risk here. It's like we have three kids, we had insurance, we had all this stuff that was like stable and that, but like, you know, there's families that invested in it. So now it's like, I have to, I have to see these people at holidays and I cannot lose their money. 
and it's just not an option. So that weighs on me every single day. And that pushes me just to keep going. And, and today we got to go harder today. We got to figure out something new today. We got to figure out how we're going to make tomorrow better. And, and that type of mentality is what I feel like it honestly takes to be a business owner. And, and I didn't know that beforehand, but now I see it clearly now. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's one of the things that uh, we talk about in our podcast and really even in our course that we're releasing here. Um, we, when we looked at starting a business, the, the first place you look is, uh, is inside because it's a long, hard battle. And the second place you should look is to the customers, to what's out there. Yeah. A lot of folks get uh, sort of, they fall in love with their product without even looking at the customer base. So when you launched, what led you to think that there was a need or a want or a desire for another brewery in town? So all of our vacations um, up to, you know, post 21 to the moment we opened the brewery were either beaches and breweries or mountains and breweries. So we were either going to San Diego or LA or something like that and going to the beach. And, and then my kids were even aware of this, like lunch and dinner at breweries, except for on the days that we go to like the amusement parks. And so they, they really tied into it all too. And they really were cooperative. And then other than that, we'd go camping in like Colorado and we'd go down to various places and pick up beers and go to a bunch of different breweries. Like, there's always a niche for it. And the industry is growing so fast. And, and there's this Brewers Association, which is like a, a national organization that really is like our national guild. And they collect all the data and then they regurgitate it on their, their website. And they have like how fast craft beer is growing versus how fast overall beer sales. Overall beer sales for like the three years were like pretty sustainable. They only went up and down like 1%. So, I mean, it was, it was basically a flat line of where beer sales are in the United States. Well, what, what kept going up and going up at rather large rates um, was the sale of craft beer versus the macro breweries like Budweiser and Miller and Coors. Um, so that's why you've seen all these breweries kind of move in a panic and start buying up small breweries. Well, the larger of the small breweries and that way they could grab their hands on that market that they're losing shares in. And so we felt pretty confident that beer was the route we wanted to go. Um, and we thought that it would be something that will be successful. What we really went into that was gonna separate us from, from what we thought everybody else kind of was doing is really incorporating our space to be part of the community. And community was always forefront on our minds. We're gonna have live music, we're gonna have art shows, we're gonna host markets, we're gonna do everything that we can to make us a part of the downtown community that whenever you go in somewhere or you start a conversation that's like, oh yeah, I went to one of those at Crooked Tooth or I did something like that at Crooked Tooth. Or, and that way you just become part of this like, part of the community, which is what we wanted to, to essentially be. And so we had some ideas of what was going to separate us. But uh, really, whenever you set out to it, you have to be willing to, to adjust. And I'll give a, a sports analogy. is like you have certain head coaches that come in with their idea of what's going to work. And they don't care who their players are. This is their idea. Then you have the head coach that comes in and goes, well, these are my four best players. I have to play to their advantages. And that's, that's the mentality that I've kind of taken. We had no intentions of being a sour brewery. 
Um, but we're known for sours. People come to us for sours. If we go to an event and don't take a sour, we get backlash right there in front of our faces of what do you mean you came eat and bring a sour? So I didn't even like sours. And, and, and we kind of got decided that we're going to be the sour brewery. So that was, that was adjustment number one. Um, we still made the big dark beers and we still made the IPAs, which I'm a bigger fan of. And, and I still had my niche in what we were doing, but ultimately the community really decided what they wanted from us. And we were willing to fill that void because our ego didn't get in the way. So often I feel like your ego keeps you down. And if you're not willing to allow yourself to grow, then you, you're just going to miss on a lot of right. opportunities. Before I, I, I uh, have Adam chime in with his thoughts, I've, I've just, there's one thing you hit on that is massive. There's two things, massive, massive. Number one is a trend. And I'm sure Adam's going to just gong the horn here over and over on that. The second thing is <laughs> you're listening to your customers. You'd be yeah. surprised how many people are saying, okay, everybody wants sours. No, no, no. We're going to do this other thing. And so Adam, your turn. <laughs> well, no, it, it's true. I think a lot of people will sit down and look at a business like the beer business and they just think, oh, it's big. It's massive. It's got these huge players like, as you said, Budweiser. And now it's Miller Coors as one company. Uh, and therefore, they're scared. And let me get started. What, what they forget is that even in a really big market, there are people with unmet needs. And that's what the craft brewery uh, concept brought to them, right? I mean, they were saying, I don't want to just drink a case of Budweiser. I'd like to have uh, more variety. I'd like to have more flavor. Uh, and then so the trend towards quality, the trend towards uh, crafty products had hit that industry. So, and, and there's an analogy that I use a lot, which is uh, thinking of markets as rivers. The beer business overall is like a lake. You get in there and you got to paddle if you want to do something. But with a craft beer business, it's like getting in the river. You know, you're going to go somewhere there. And uh, so that's the big advantage. You know, it's like, oh, it's a growing business. People, people kind of look me up. They'll, they'll, if they come to Tucson, they'll want to find a craft brewery. And so that gives you a, a big heads up right there, a leg up. Yeah. And then the second thing, as you said, and uh, I'm just startled how few people really listen to their customers. You know, what do you want? What do you want? What do you want? You know, when you're making something and somebody says, you know, uh, they would tend to think more, better, faster, what I've always done. And um, it's, it's a rare bird that says, well, what do you want? And if it's not what I'm already selling, you go out and get it for them anyway. But again, it's back to that unmet need. Um, you know, I, I, the, I don't know that I've ever had a sour beer, to be honest with you. Now I'm a little intrigued by that. Um, but, you know, again, people, there's something they want. It's an unmet need. And when you meet, when you provide for the unmet need, it just makes, it's an easier road. It's an easier, not an easy, but easier road. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's really interesting to me that some people like kind of get that in their system, and they're like, "No, I'm not going to to listen to what people are wanting." Um, we made a sour; it sold really quick. We made another; um, it sold quick. Now it's like people come in, and if we don't have three sours on, they're like, "Well, I thought you guys were a sour brewery. Where are your sours?" And so we often are stopping making other things and pulling grain from certain beers to make more sour. So like you have to constantly make this adjustment. Um, I would highly recommend if uh, come down, have some sours. We got four of them on right now. Uh, we, so we do tell me a little bit more about your, your product line in terms of um, what's available. 
what percentage of your sales is uh, is fresh beer? What percentage is bottled? What's canned? Do you sell through any other distribution than just at the brewery? And do you offer food? And if so, what was the decision like to offer food and to select the food? Man, if I had a restaurant, if I had a restaurant, we'd be killing it. <laughs> I mean, that's just like, that'd be super nice. Luckily, I'm going to go in reverse order on that. So I'll start off since I talked about the restaurant. We have Anello's across the street. And Anello's is a great local pizzeria. Um, and, and he's very limited on space as far as what he could do. So he's really switched to this to-go thing. And, and we've been fortunate enough to have him right across so much that we actually have his menus on every one of our tables now. And you can order food and he runs it over. And it's really been a great relationship to help each other through this age of the pandemic. And, uh, you know, having food uh, just helps all around. It helps with more beer sales. It helps with people getting less intoxicated. It helps with, you know, his sales and keeping another business in business. So it's really like, it's nice because there's not a lot going on in our area, but construction right now. And so to have something else that draws people in, gives us at least some type of manipulation power to pull people into us to, to want both of our products because his product's only available at his place and our product is mostly available at our place. So then to go into like fresh beer versus uh, to-go beer sales, um, we, we're self-distributed. Um, we have yet to be approached by a distributor or looked for a distributor. A um, couple of things I really like about self-distribution. I have control of my product. Um, my product is kept refrigerated. Product is, is checked before it leaves. There's not a third party involved. It's not sitting on some dock somewhere out in the sun for four hours till another truck comes and loads it for their second delivery. Um, plus, I walk into your establishment and, and you are meeting with the direct source. And, and I like that. I like that connection. I like that communication. I don't like the fact that someone's going to come in with a booklet of 500 available beers and my name's somewhere in there. I'm not featured. I'm not, I'm low on their list because they got like a Sierra Nevada that sells through the roof or Sam Adams or something like that. And they don't, it's like crooked juice down here. So um, I really like that. When we started into the pandemic, we didn't have any type of to-go. We basically bottled our moon beers once a, um, once a month, and that was all that we had. And we only bottled like 96 of them. They sold, they sold. And, and other than that, like they weren't even, we didn't have a display refrigerator or anything. Now we got a display refrigerator. We bought a canning line. We now are bottling a lot more. So... We, we really had to make these adjustments and we call them ancillary benefits, um, which was the first beer that we ever put into a can too. Um, it's just this idea of really coming through this pandemic and coming out on top and making the adjustments to where it's not something that's negative, but it's something that's positive that's allowing us to make these certain adjustments. So some of the positives was we got to make lagers, which was super dope because I love a good lager. And we didn't ever had time before. And that really allowed us the time. We also got some new equipment, a canning line and a fooder. The, the fooder is the first one in Arizona. I mean, in Tucson, it's like the third one in Arizona. So that's really exciting. It's basically a large wooden vessel that holds 620 gallons. Very impressive. It's in our tap room. 
it out, um, but it allows us to make sours faster. Um, then we have like our cans and I brought a couple just to kind of show you. This is a, a mango y pina. It's part of our Sonoran sour series. So we really have honed in on the sours. All of our sours will have some type of serape down the side, usually displaying, you know, you got like, you got the pineapple, you got some mango. So it definitely always illustrates what's in the beer. Um, these have been flying off the shelves, both in our building and then also for distribution. So we do sell kegs, cans, two other locations. We got about 64 counts in Tucson and about 22 to 30 in Phoenix. Um, and that just depends on what we're taking and when we're selling kegs. Um, obviously we distribute those, uh, citywide and then we do take a small amount of kegs up to Phoenix, but Phoenix is mostly cans just because we don't want to be chasing down kegs and we drive up in our vehicle. So I got small amount of real estate in the back of my forerunner and it can only hold so many, so many kegs. And if I put a half barrel keg in there, then I lose all the space that I could put, you know, eight cases of cans, which is going to be more profit going up there. So we have to carry those things in mind. Also, we do like 22 ounce bombers. This is Dwarvish. It's kind of our anniversary ale. Um, and, and the bombers have been going great as well. Whenever we entered in the pandemic on St. Patty's Day 20, uh, 2020, um, we closed at eight o'clock and we didn't know what our future was. Yeah, let's actually let's focus in on that because I think a lot of the, our listeners and viewers are kind of have been there. There's a small percentage of, well, I should say not that small, a significant percentage that still think that things are going to go back to exactly how they were. And, and that's really not the case. So yeah. explain to us on that St. Patty's Day, kind of what happened, what you felt like, and then what the road ahead looked like. You know, it's kind of like the moment. I know exactly where I was and what I was doing on 9-11. And, and the same thing has occurred whenever it rolled around for the pandemic shutdown. Um, it was terrifying because you have no idea what's going on. You just know that you closed. And, and honestly, small businesses are a lot like average Americans. They live paycheck to paycheck. And we count on every single day to pay a bill or to pay for something. And it's not this crazy lucrative business of getting a brewery and it's going to, you're going to live in this beautiful house and you're going to have 20 cars and you're going to do whatever you want to do. Cause that's not the idea behind beer. Beer is a blue collar drink and it, it, it gets going to give you the blue collar wage unless Anheuser comes in and buys me for half a billion dollars. Um, but yeah, so it was terrifying. Our employees were terrified. They didn't know what to expect. We didn't know what to expect. Um, we closed for the next three days to kind of regroup, meet with our team. Another thing that I feel that we do that's really unique, at least my employees tell me it's unique and I've never experienced it, is we communicate with our employees and we, we take in their perspectives and we take in their needs and we, we want them to stay with us and we want them to be as successful as they could be. So whenever we, we first closed, we all sat down and we talked about who felt uncomfortable returning to work? Who felt comfortable returning? How are we going to do this? And we collectively sat down and we came up with a solution. And the solution was to open up this tiny door inside the garage door, which is super cool because these garage doors are like from the 50s. And this little tiny door exists in the garage door. So we finally got to use it. Um, we had a little bar that separates it. And then we, we started, we literally got our crowler machine, which a crowler is a 32 ounce can. 
and, and you seam it right there after you fill it with the beer from the tap and you seam it and you go out and you drink it probably six hours. You don't want to be sitting on those. Um, we hooked it up on Friday. We were shut down on Tuesday. Then became like the can war. Where are we going to find crawlers? And it was funny as I was just talking with Rob and Rebecca. Rob own, runs the uh, guild, the Craft Brewers Guild, and Rebecca owns Tap and Bottle. And she went up to pick up cans from Rob. And I mean, she was just in tears because it's like, we can't find cans anywhere. We can't do anything. He had a stash of them that he gave to us. And it really carried us through until we were able to establish a connection with cans. But we would order cans and get them 60 days later. So that's not a sustainable gap. And, and luckily, I found a smaller place that was selling them out of Michigan. I had to pay an arm and a leg to get them here. But they, they kept us in business. And as things started to roll around, we bought the canning line. And the canning line was such a, uh, such a huge, like, we wanted one forever, and now we have to have one. And, and so it was an opportunity to bring that in and to start being able just to move beer. And if we could move it, we could pay some bills, we could get this thing taken care of, we can ensure our employees have a job. Because we also only lost two employees during the pandemic, and that was both by their choice, because they were with high risk and one had a high risk significant other, and one was like watching a baby and felt it was high risk. So they both decided not to come back. So it really gave us this opportunity to, to figure out how we're going to swim. Because right now we're, we're treading water. And if we don't change, we're going to sink. Um, that lasted until um, uh, September 1st, we opened up the patio and the patio only, which we have a nice patio. It's like um, 1500 square feet. And, and we had to remove all of our like lovely community tables that we um, bought because we wanted to inspire conversation with your neighbor. Um, we don't have TVs cause we also want to inspire that conversation. Now it's like we took barrels from uh, whiskey Del Bach and we put tops on them. We put umbrellas and, and we started making small tables. So we got 11 of them outside that can hold a max of like 54 people. And that keeps us well below the, uh, the 50% capacity. Um, and, and so that worked out great. And then eventually we opened up the tap room and we just switched it around too, to make it, make the space work with the distancing, the CDC guidelines and really how we're going to do it. And, and the biggest move um, besides offering the to-go package. So the to-go is still ranging anywhere between like 33 and, and 50, like 53, 54% of our sales um, out of the tap room are to-go, which is still significant. Um, and, and now we offer table service. That was, that was the, that was a cherry on the, on top of everything. How are we going to do this? table service. I come to you. I have that in, like conversation about the product. I have that opportunity to make a connection with the, uh, the patron. And not only that, like if I'm sitting at a table and my wife has this much beer left and I have no beer and someone comes and asks me for a beer, I will always say yes. If I have to get up and go stand in line at the, at the bar to get it, and that was pre-COVID, I would just drink the other half of hers and let's go to the next spot. But now... 
you know, I don't feel comfortable getting up and going to that position. So now someone's coming to me and asking me, and then you're asking me about like, oh, wait, you have to go to go. And I can, I can go see what your to go options are. And so that's really increased the sale per person um, significantly. We were averaging anywhere between eight and $12 per ticket pre COVID. And now we are averaging anywhere between 28 and 38 which is significant. Um, And starting off in February, this is our first month where we have hit the exact same numbers that we hit pre-shutdown. That's remarkable. Um, It it really is. Now it costs us a lot more money because we have to pay the payroll. We have to pay the canning line. We had to buy a canning line. Like we're spending more, but we're getting back to that spot. And if we can get to that spot, we can get to the next spot. And, and that's how we just have continued to evolve with this. Another thing that we did that I forgot to mention really early into it all is like, how, how can we help other businesses? And we had like wooden tooth selling records. We had local artists selling their wares, whether it was like coloring books, Marcy Ellis sold some coloring books there. Grow, we did like a, a potted, like a, a pot with some soil and a couple of succulents and then a crawler. And he got it for like a deal. And then you could go home and like drink a beer and plant some succulents. And so that like those steps of like ma- ensuring that the rest of our community is going to be part of what we're doing, ensuring that we have that community presence. And then, and then where are we going to go now? Cause we can't just like, this is great. This is where we're going to be but we have to like succeed this and figure out how to get back to those original numbers. Cause like I said, we never lost an employee. Um, and, and we rehired because of the PPP, we rehired people back to ensure that we stayed at our 13 employees. Um, so it was, yeah, it's, it's still scary every day, but I mean, there's light at an end of a tunnel right now and it is a beautiful light. Um, That's awesome. That's awesome. I, it sounds like you probably wouldn't have made some of these decisions so in the, in the, in the same time frame had it not been for the disruption of the pandemic. Yeah, the canning line was like, man, we're thinking about that maybe this year or next year, but like that was ways out. We just bought the, the crowler machine and it's like, all right, this is pay this off and let's move to the next step. And I mean, it paid itself off in, in two months. Cause that was the only way we were getting beers out the door. So it really, uh, it really ensured so much. And, uh, yeah, we call them ancillary benefits, you know, as ancillary benefits of the COVID was having to make loggers An ancillary benefit was buying a fooder and getting that up and running. Um, another ancillary benefit was buying a canning line and making that part of our, our routine everyday process. So now it's like we can weekly, and anywhere between 1,200 and 2,500 cans. And, and we send those to, you know, probably about a third of it stays in Tucson and two thirds goes to Phoenix. And we, we instantaneously could take a batch of beer and turn it into cash. That's awesome. So the cash, the cash funding for your equipment, were you able to work with a local bank? No, we, uh, so originally we're high risk. Um, just because of our position coming at, coming into this uh, this uh, idea of opening a brewery, um, we didn't have this like large backing to where we could go like, yeah, we got all this money, and we weren't able to come in and 
and and do a lot of the things. Uh, our credit was, you know, iffy at the time, and and I really wanted a ten barrel system. And ten barrels is roughly about three hundred and ten gallons. Um, and so we worked with this company that I found in a brewer's magazine called Innovative Lease. Um, and they've been pretty fantastic. We, we've gotten a lot of through them to get things going. Um, they, they were willing to take that initial risk. Um, and at first my rates were higher and they've gone down. Um, and then we, we switched over and we did go with, uh, a bank out of Phoenix to get switched over to the SBA. So we switched everything over to SBA and then for the canning line, just to make it liquidy split. Cause I could literally text my contact to innovative and be like, yeah, I need, uh, I need $67,000 tomorrow. Can you just like, can we make this happen? And in like three days, he'll be like, great, it's done. And he wires the money to the alpha who made our canning line and we get on the list. And uh, unfortunately, there was a list because a lot of breweries that were in our position hit that panic button. And it's like, we need a canning line. And yeah. so. What other uh, uh, questions you have, Adam, here in the next couple of minutes before we uh, sign off? Well, I just wanted to I always talk about the fact that it, entrepreneurs have multiple constituencies. And one of the great things that Ben's been talking about here is how he thought through his customers, his employees. Now we just talked about his financing. He's talked a lot about community. Um, so uh, entrepreneurs can never succeed when they're unidirectionally focused on making money. I've never seen that work. What has to happen is you have to think about your constituencies. And then when you say, hey, look, we're a craft beer, we're, we're a trendy business, we're, we're going in the right direction. And if you think about all those different constituencies and you really work for the benefit of all of them, then the money comes at the end. You know, it's the result of doing that hard work. And so uh, I really enjoy hearing that. And I enjoy hearing how he was able to build relationships. And, and it's quite clear to me that the, a lot of people around Tucson and in the financial world are, are coming around to his way of thinking. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, uh, to close out, Ben, I want to thank you for your time. And yeah. uh, it's always a pleasure to, uh, to speak with you. I was actually at Crooked Tooth last night. Well, hell yeah. Thank you, sir. Of those, of those uh, Crowler cans, I think I, I bought like 15 of them over the course of, uh, you know, the time. I did share them. I didn't drink them all. I, I drank most. Hey, <laughs> that's all right. Uh, this is a judgment-free zone, buddy. Oh, absolutely. I just, I loved it when you had the uh, buy two, get one free. I was like, okay, no problem. Uh, yeah. But uh, in the last minute here, uh, give us an idea, Ben, of what you want to do in the coming years based on kind of, I mean, if you think about it, you, you, you almost like dodge the bullet, but it gives you a little bit more confidence, right? You're, you're going to be a little bit more uh, bullish on, on some things. So what does the outlook look like for Crooked Tooth in 2021 and beyond? Cool. I'll do it as fast as possible, but we ask every single employee whenever we hire them and during their reviews, what are your one and five-year goals? My one-year goal for Crooked Tooth we have our sour program up and operating to the next level, which is pulling from the fooder and filling barrels and throwing crazy amounts of fruit in them and just making beers that absolutely blow people's spines. Um, also in that breath is like, get the canning line paid off, get all of this stuff done to where now we're, we're looking into the next level of Crooked Tooth, which brings in the five-year goal. And the five-year goal for Crooked Tooth is definitely, we're going to need a production facility because 
If you haven't noticed, if you go into Crooked Tooth, we're out of room. I have tanks in the tap room. I got barrels in the tap rooms. We have no walk-in space. We, we find ourselves using fermenters for storage because we don't have anywhere to put it in the walk-in. Um, so really the next is to find that production facility, to elevate Crooked Tooth to, to that next level, to get to that Dragoon level, to get to that Santan or Four Peaks or something like that to where we have a facility that's pumping out, you know, thousands of barrels a year and really inundating Arizona with our beer. This is our home turf and we love Arizona. We love Tucson. And there's nothing that makes me happier than seeing things being posted or walking in the like co-op and to see my beer on like seven spaces on their shelf. That's already finite. We absolutely love that. And it's like, if we can continue to grow and to continue to represent Tucson, that's why we do the Sonoran Sour Series. That's why we bring in a lot of those Sonoran flavors because this is, this is where I was born. This is the stuff that I grew up eating. Um, we go to Respato places to get inspiration. Like this is what Tucson is. And to be able to take Tucson, put it in a can and get it across our state um, is something that really excites us. So that, that production level is coming and that's something that we're, we're, we're working towards and that's our five-year goal. But for the one year is to continue to prosper in the area we're going, continue to can as much as possible, get those cans and create hype behind the brewery. And I feel like we're on the proper track there. Um, so yeah, we just did a beer event up in Phoenix, which actually I was really surprised. It was great, very well spaced out. Um, only a certain amount of people per hour and they were all broken into groups into different zones. So it was really kind of COVID, super COVID friendly. I never felt threatened, but we were a big hype brewery there people were excited about us. They were excited about what they were putting in their mouth. They all came to us and they were like, man, we're so happy you guys came to this event. We've heard so many great things. So that's, that's goal one and it's working and we got to keep building that to get to goal year five. So. Well, that's that's awesome, Ben. I, I'm really happy to hear you say that because, uh, like you, I was born here. I love Tucson. This is our community. And uh, um, after this this uh, podcast, I want to share with you some things about our course on innovation called uh, Think Innovation that really gives you a systematic approach to be able to do what you're doing. You're doing a lot of the, the good things as you are right now, but this has a little bit more of a sharper focus in being able to uh, to use the resources you have, which are limited, creative, but limited in a very systematic manner, which actually can produce some uh, uh, some big, big gains. So yeah. uh, go to sparkpartners.com to learn more about our course. And with that, uh, I will be signing off after uh, Adam and Ben. Take care. Take Thanks, care. Guys.